It says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so here Paul is giving Timothy instructions on ordering the church and how, um, how we're to behave in the house of God. And the church is the called out local assembly of saved um, baptized members of the church or the assembly of the Christians. It's Jesus' church. It's the same word ecclesia that they would use to denote any type of assembly. But what makes this unique is that it is Jesus' church. It's his um, assembly. And, um, and then Paul gives Timothy instructions on how to, uh, to behave thyself in the house of God. And so the context of 1 Timothy is specifically talking about in church when we assemble together. Now go ahead and turn to, or just go back to chapter 2. And the Bible says in verse 11, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. The message today is, does God call women to be pastors? Now, it's not the preacher's job to apologize for God, but rather to pro proclaim the word of God with boldness. And for us to receive the word of God is his infinite wisdom that even when it may be is beyond our comprehension and understanding to trust that God knows what he is talking about. And here we see it. Bible tells it. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach. Nor to usurp authority over the man. But to be in silence. And so here right here we see Paul telling Timothy. That the woman should not be the ones teaching. Usurping authority over the men. In what context? In the church. And we see um, in the Bible, though, even outside of the church, but throughout um, history, even before the church was started, there was never a female priest. Not once in Scripture do you see um, God ordaining a female priest in the Old Testament. You do see female prophetess in both the Old Testament and New Testament. But none of them were a long-standing prophetic ministry, as we see with like Elijah, Elisha, with Isaiah, with Jeremiah, with Daniel. Um, it was more of like God would be using them to speak his word, not in the context of the assembly of the church, but would speak the word of God and people would hear it. There was never a female apostle. There was never even a queen anointed by God to be ruler in Israel. You have, of course, the king's wives, 
But as far as actually being a sole ruler in Israel, you never see God anointing um, that in Israel or in Judah. You do have one exception where there was Aphaliah um, that murdered someone and appointed herself as queen. And the um, historians even call her Aphaliah the usurper, that, that she was not given that throne, but she took it um, out of someone else's that was already ruling. And nowhere in the New Testament do you see a female pastor. Now, one thing that is very significant <clears throat> to know here that Paul is telling Timothy, let the woman learn. In first century Judaism, while women were not always barred from attending the synagogue, sometimes it was kind of discouraged and um, they weren't encouraged to learn. Some rabbis chose not to teach women, period, considering it akin to throwing pearls before the swine. That they couldn't do much with it anyways was their mindset. A strict rabbi would never even greet a woman on the street. Even if it was his mother, his wife, his daughter, his sister. Now these were the strict rabbis. Now this oppressive Judaism treatment of women did not come from the Old Testament. That's not how God ordered for it to happen. The Old Testament affirmed that women have a spiritual status equal to that of men. The law was given to all Israel, men and women. Fathers and mothers were to teach God's law to their ch children in Deuteronomy 6. You see, they're both commanded to teach the law to their children. The protection of the law applied the same for men and women. Now, in Judaism, it did not always carry out that way. As you saw in the New Testament where the Pharisees um, would accuse um, a woman of being adulterous, but never hold a, a, to account the men that were involved. But the law did. The law gave fair treatment to both male and female. In Numbers 36 we see that women even had inheritance rights. That it wasn't only men. Now that sometimes there was where a man, man would get double if he was the firstborn. But um, as far as all the children, women had a right to inherit property as well. Women participated in the relig Jewish religious feast, Exodus 12, Deuteronomy 16. The Nazarite vow. And in studying for this, I didn't even notice this before, but the Nazarite vow could be done, performed by both man and woman. Women were involved in different ways in spiritual service in the temple and tabernacle, not as priests, but in other roles. And so the Bible in the Old Testament never Gave it in a lifestyle where women were considered inferior. There were distinct roles, but not inferior in value. Life for a Greek woman were also kind of rough 
kind of like the Judaism that would get that was following the traditions of men instead of the law of God. And then we see that um, Greek women would sometimes often be even the well-to-do ones where they would be confined to basically their apartment, their area, their dwelling place, and would not really get to go out much unless it's to um, get needed necessities. Um, even for public meals, they usually would not be a part of, and, and, and they were often prevented from learning anything in public. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here is let the woman learn in the church. That the church is for women as well as men. But he does tell them to not be in the leadership of the church as far as in leading over men. And now we're going to look at several different arguments that people use from both sides. And then our um, mode is to go with what is thus say of the scripture? What is thus say of the Lord? Now some would say that Paul only forbade women from pastoring because women in the first century were uneducated. But nowhere in Scripture do you see that given as a reason. Nowhere does it say, hey, the women of this century are uneducated. And nowhere, um, or, or why else wouldn't, why wouldn't Paul also say then, if a man is uneducated, he shouldn't be a pastor. You know, we actually see the opposite where, you know what the Bible says, not many noble are called. But that God has called the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We see in Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They had accounted that he had been with Jesus, but they understood that these men weren't people that went to rabbinical schools or had any formal training. Okay, so being uneducated in the law or uneducated in the scriptures to this great degree, it's a college degree level, that was not an issue here. Another argument often used is Paul was dealing with women who were worshipers of the goddess Diana who happened to be married to Christian men in the church and the women were interrupting the services and teaching false doctrine. This is a very common teaching in the modern church and in the, in the different books that are written. They say Paul was not telling all women to be silent in the church. What Paul is dealing with is that Timothy had an issue where the men got saved. And their wives were still worshippers of, of idolatry of Diana, of Ephesus. And that they would come into the church and interrupt the church services and try to introduce their idolatry to the church. Very common in churches that have women as pastors. That is their stance. I've asked a few who hold this view, where in the Bible do you get this reasoning? Where in Timothy 
Do you get that the reason Paul told Timothy to have the woman to be in silence, that is because it was pagan woman in the church. None of them have been able to give an answer, a biblical answer. It's always more along the lines as well. You just got to understand the culture. You got to understand the history. He said, he'll say, I mean, his, historical accounts will report this. Like, all right, give me a historical account. Give me a document that mission. And they can't. This is something they are just imagining because of their own personal bias. Nowhere does Timothy, in the book of Timothy, does it say it was because these were pagan wives that they were told to be silent in the church as they were learning. They often say that this was just a local geographical problem and it's not applicable for today. They'll say that it was just more the culture in that day. Um, William Barclay, a liberal commentator, said, All the things in this chapter are mere temporary regulations to meet a given situation. If we want Paul's permanent view on this matter, we get it in Galatians 3.28. So it's one time they're looking to scripture. Well, let's see what scripture they use. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And then the writer goes on, In Christ the differences of place and honor and function within the church are all wiped out. If Paul sees no gender distinctions, then why should the church? And that's the verse that they're using to argue their point. But that verse is talking about salvation. That in Christ, okay, it's not going to matter whether you're male or female. Both can get saved. A slave or a master, they can get saved. Jew or Gentile, that it doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity. That we are all one in Christ Jesus. This did not, however, remove the distinctions between Jews and Gentiles in practical life. It also did not remove the functional differences between slaves and masters. So why do they inconsistently apply it to mean there are no functional differences in the roles of men and women? Well, we see that God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That God in the beginning, he created us, some male and some female, two genders. If they're going to take it literally to mean there is no longer any gender today, is there no such thing as a husband and wife? Do they believe that everyone's just non-binary now? Is homosexuality no longer a sin because there's no male, there's no female? Of course, they only apply this to mean woman could function in the office of a pastor, the office of a bishop. Another counter-argument that the, the command for a woman to remain silent is 
They'll say it's only specific for this church in Ephesus, not all churches of all time. But you notice in the Bible, Timothy is not the only place this is found in Scripture. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, says, Let your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, is also say of the law. Now this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. So this is a different church. They didn't worship the goddess Diana. They weren't interrupting the church services, so to speak, as they would claim. This is a different church, and Paul says it to the church at Corinth. And notice he says, let your woman keep silence in the churches. So plural. Okay, so it would be any church commanded to be under obedience. It's also say of the law. That God's law already showed that there would be a subordination as far as a woman foremost to follow under the leadership of her husband. Till we see that Timothy was told to repeat what he was taught to others. Not to dismiss it in a future generation. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so what Paul has been teaching Timothy, he tells them, you need to teach other men that will also be able to teach others also. So this would be a multi-generational thing. What Paul taught the Corinthians, Paul said he taught everywhere in the churches. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. The fact that the principle of woman not speaking in church services was not local, geographical, or cultural, but universal in all churches. From the same scripture of there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, that verse is also used to say that it is... Um, that today that a woman's subordinate role is a corruption of God's perfect design that was the result of the fall. That since the effects of the curse are intended to be reversed in Christ, it is argued differing male and female roles should be abolished. But they miss the fact entirely that First Timothy and Ephesians themselves consist, and Corinthians, consist of the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And that they're speaking to Christians that are in Christ, not to the lost. Have you ever noticed that even after we get saved, men, 
It's still by the sweat of thy brow that you're at work. You still have that effect. And woman, even once you get saved, I guarantee you, I don't have the experience, but I've seen my wife that even as a saved woman, she still has the effects of pain in childbirth that the Bible says was part of the curse. And so the effects of that have not ceased just because someone is in Christ. So why do people try to say that salvation absolves gender roles? Very inconsistent. Some may say, Pastor, aren't you worried about teaching on such a controversial subject today? What if people don't like it and they leave the church? I never preach with the intention of trying to push people out. That's not why I come here and go, man, I just want to holler and try and make people mad and not want to come back. But I'm also not to be worried about whether we like it or not, or if culture likes it or not. My only concern is to make sure that I'm faithful to preach what is in the Word of God. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. And it's, we have a problem with it, don't take it to me. You talk to God about it, okay? Some will argue, well, God used Deborah as a judge. Again, Timothy, what was the specific context? The church. Okay, this doesn't mean everywhere outside the church that woman can't teach men. It doesn't mean that woman can't rise in different types of leadership role, but we'll get to that on some of the things the Bible does say about that. Paul is not speaking about civil leaders. He is speaking spe specifically of the context of pastoral leadership in the churches. But let's go ahead and look at the scripture set account for Deborah. That's one that's brought up all the time. Why they bring it up, I don't know. I don't think they've even read what it says. But go to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. In verse 4. Says then Deborah, a prophetess, so we do see that she is a prophetess, that she would speak and the word God would speak through her. Um, the wife of Sapiadah, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak the son of Abinam out of Kadesh of Tai, and said unto him, Have not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. 
Okay, so her as a prophetess is speaking on behalf of the Lord. This isn't a church setting, one of the churches in the area, but this is her making a prophecy to the man directly that God would deliver the enemy into his hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. He did not have the courage to simply trust the word of the Lord that came from her to go. So no, if you go with me, then I will go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And so he says, hey, you know what? You're going to lose your honor. That a woman had twofold, that a woman's having to go with him. And what ends up happening in this account is this leader, he's trying, he's fleeing, um, and then. They, they know this family, um, that they're kind of mutual friends with the kingdom. This woman says, hey, come into my tent, and um, you're welcome. He goes, oh, could I have water? And um, she gives him milk instead, and says, sure, go ahead and lie down and get rest. And then he lies down and goes to sleep, and then he put, she puts a nail to his temple and hammers it in. Right for the temple, through the eyes. And he dies. By the hands of a woman. Now it wasn't wrong that it happened by the hands of a woman. But it was to a dishonor to Barak. That he didn't trust the Lord. And just taken the leadership to go on his own. And so that's the passage people often use to justify female pastors. One, it has nothing to do with pastoring, and two, even then it shows in the culture it was going to be a dishonor to Barak for not being willing to go on his own. Deborah was a woman of great wisdom and influence. We see that Barak's failure to have courage to lead on his own, that it wouldn't be to his honor, that God would use a woman to defeat the enemy. We see both Deborah leading the way, and then Jael is a woman that kills the man. And there may be instances when the regular pattern of God's order may have to be set aside to due to unusual circumstances. When, for example, the husband and father is absent, the woman of the house assumes the headship of the family. So it would be apparent there may be unusual circumstances when male leadership is unavailable for one reason or another. At such times we see that God used women to accomplish his purposes like he used Deborah. The fact that Deborah was ruinous to judge is also an indication, though, that times were not good. You know, the judge says that man, um, that man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay? Not that it was wrong for her to be a judge, 
but it was a shame that there weren't more men to lead. And that they were a society suffering from the judgment of God. How we know this? Go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah 3 and verse 12. It says, there's the Lord speaking, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. Right here, the Bible shows that a sign that a nation is under the judgment of God is when predominantly the leadership is woman. We have more women in Congress than we've ever had um, before. Now, this is not anti-woman any more than it is anti-children. If children are in charge of our country, we are in trouble. If women are overwhelmingly in charge, again, it doesn't matter. God used Deborah at a time as that. We see how God used Esther um, and spared the people, uh, uh, um, the Jewish people. God used women in many mighty ways. But when women are predominantly in the leadership roles of a nation, it is a sign that the nation is under the judgment of God. They're not following God's order for things. In Isaiah 3.16, we see the feminists in Israel's day. It says, Moreover, the Lord saith, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and menacing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. That here it is all this excessive, they're haughty, they're looking at themselves to be leaders, and then God says that with the scab on the head, that is basically would bring boldness to them. And remember woman's hair, the Bible says, is given for her glory. But this judgment would be upon them. In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and the round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle, a brent, and instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty. And this is what it says, and when, you know, basically when a woman have put themselves in charge, and is living in their excess, it says, 
thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. And her gate shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. And so we see here the pride of these women that brought themselves in their leadership and in flaunting it. We see then that the men fall by the sword. When women take over leadership in a culture and society ends up despising men, men become weak. When men become weak, they can easily be conquered. As more and more women ascend to power, more men become weaker and society becomes vulnerable to danger. We see it now with the military. Putting more women in combat roles. You know, in the Bible it specifically says, no, you know, you protect the woman and the men go out to battle. But now putting women on the front lines in combat roles. And then the men become, the, the, the standards you enter the military end up being lowered. And then because they want all the equality, so to speak, the standards get lowered for everybody. And the men get weaker. And then we all become vulnerable to danger. We have more women in leadership roles in our nation, again, as I said, than ever before. This does not mean the women are in sin for being in these leadership positions. Just like it wasn't a sin for Deborah. And many in Congress are godly, God-fearing women who often show much more courage and boldness than many of the men in Congress do. Well, it is not wrong for the woman to ascend to this power. It shows that there is an absence of men leading and that a nation is under the judgment of God. That woe is unto you. When women rule over thee, and children are their oppressors. And we see that today, women with children oppressing, ha having no respect for any kind of authority. Now when talking about the question about pastoring again, some will say God can call whoever he wants, man or woman. Female pastors have said things along the lines of, Paul is not Jesus, and Jesus is the one that called me to preach, not Paul. As if Paul was just some random guy giving advice or giving his opinion. Go ahead and go back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. It says, Lay your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. It's also say of the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And then um, in verse 36 it says, What came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? That he's asking this question that, you know, is, did the word of God really begin with you? And also, is it really unto you only? And, and, and then he's trying to give this example of, 
Like, hey, the, the church at Corinth is trying to run church their own way instead of how God has decreed it. He says, this isn't what we're to be doing. Uh, God, God didn't start with them, and did it only come to them? No, the church doesn't get to decide for itself what God said. Let's read on. It says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, the things that I, Paul, write unto you, are what? The commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. And so Paul was not just writing his opinion. These are the commandments that the Lord gave him. The Bible says we continue in the doctrines of Jesus and of the apostles. And so as some female preachers will say, Oh, Paul didn't call me, Jesus did. These commandments are the commandments of the Lord. Turn um, back to 1 Timothy. We're just reading in chapter 2 in there. As we began. As we read on in chapter 3 verse 1. It says this is a true saying. If a man. It doesn't say a woman. It says a man. The Greek word there is speaking specifically of masculine. It's not simply meaning mankind. Because if a man desired the office of a bishop, he desired a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. A husband of one wife. No woman can be a husband. No society wants to make you think that. They can't. And this wasn't just told to Timothy at, at the church at Ephesus that Timothy's pastor. We see Paul tells Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, okay, the things that are lacking, set things in order, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. Okay? So here again, he's telling the husband of one wife. Now some will say, well, I just have the spiritual gifts for leadership. No, the Bible doesn't forbid all sorts of leadership. But in the role of pastoring and also of deacons, it does forbid women from serving in those roles. But just because someone is gifted in something does not mean that God has called them to it. You take, for example, say I found another woman and I was marrying another wife. Hey, I'm called, I'm gifted in pastoring. Oh, well, let's just ignore this part about husband of one wife. Hey, I'm gifted in it. Okay. Scripturally, I would not be qualified. Maybe I could pastor well and have a second wife. It says husband of one wife. 
Okay? And he would say, oh, you know, that would be absurd, absurd if you did that. Okay? Well, you know what? If you look at the scriptures, it is easier to show, you know, if you're going to just show interpretation of the scriptures, it is easier to show in the Bible more clearly that the Bible holds the office of pastor and of being a bishop only to men than it does in saying that polygamy is wrong. Now, are there scriptures that teach polygamy is wrong? It, the Bible says, multiply not wives unto thyself. God created Adam and Eve, okay, that it was two that would be one flesh. But in more clear commands, we have that a woman is not to serve as a pastor than we do about polygamy being wrong. So when we see, we see that, you know what, we see that Abraham, you know what, ended up having another wife. We end up seeing David having multiple wives, good men, but had multiple wives. And so it would be easier to justify that than to really overlook the scripture on what it says about female pastors. Now let's get back to chapter 2 in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll forever settle that Paul was not speaking about just the church at Ephesus and that it wasn't just because of the times they were in back then. We did not have to go far from verses 11 and 12 to figure this out. It's tied into two things that are clearly transcultural and for all time, cross-generational, and it's in the very next two verses. So I don't know where these people get this idea. Oh, this is just the lost woman interrupting the church services. You know what? Paul gives the reason in what he was saying. And again, in verse 11, let the woman learn the silence of all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first born, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Paul's grounds his argument first in the order of creation. And that's what I'm talking about, the order of God. Okay? The order of creation, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Genesis 2.18, it says again, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Talking about a help that would be suitable to him. And so that was in God's original plan, the order of creation, not just a result of the fall. Now we see the order of the fall <clears throat> continues to confirm this, though. Paul does not derive a woman's role from the fall, but he uses that event as further corroboration of God's intention. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Genesis 3.16 says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay, so what God is really just re-putting in place and saying, you know what, you messed up my order. You flip the order. Now, if I've lost you already, try to refocus, try to pay attention right here again. Where we land on this issue, it's really a matter of humble faith 
trusting that God knows what's best, or arrogantly believing that we know better than God. You think about it, God, I know you have the power to speak the universe into existence. I know you have the power to keep the sun far away enough so we don't burn. Yet close enough so we don't freeze. God, I know you have the power to create the cells and the organs of my body to function properly. But this thing of male leadership in the church and home, I just don't know if I can go along with that. about order, not value. God who is supreme created man. He then created woman to be a helpmate for him and commanded them to take dominion over his creation. Genesis 1.26. Go ahead and turn there. Genesis 1.26. So the same God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. See, so God, the supreme being, creates man, creates woman, and tells him to take dominion over the earth. Satan worked towards flipping God's order. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. So before God created man, took of his rib, created Eve, Commanded them to take dominion over the earth, had them name the animals that he was they were to have dominion over. God be in their head. And what do we see here? Satan is what? The serpent. One of the creatures. 
that Adam was supposed to have dominion over. We have the serpent speaking to Eve, telling Eve what to do, and Eve leading her husband, instead of her husband leading her, she's leading her husband to take the forbidden fruit. For what purpose? So they could be like gods. Satan flipped the strip. He flipped the order. God had an order. Satan flipped it. And that's what we're in danger of when we have females as pastors. We're flipping the order how God intended for it to be. Woman being pastors is following the servant's order instead of God's order. It's listening to the lie of the serpent, usurping authority over the man with the thought that we know better than God's word. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, um, again, this later woman keeps silence in the churches where it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. It's also say of the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Society looks at this as oppressive. In the first glance, you know, I understand why. I, I see it growing up in this culture. But you, if you really read this, this is God's way to unify the family spiritually. Instead of another man whether it be the pastor or someone else, a woman is to go to her husband with questions instead about what she's learning or what she wants to learn. If he doesn't know the answer, it motivates him to seek an answer for her that he may guide his family in the ways of the Lord. Can you just imagine if, okay, say, Kenneth Stubbs, Every Wednesday, every Sunday, she was always asking me questions. Asking me for the spiritual guidance. Okay, I'm not her head. Okay, I may be the pastor in the church, okay, and be a roar leader in that context, but John is her head. And he is the one she should be going to for that spiritual nourishment. And some may say, well, what if the woman is more spiritual than the man? Well, by the woman asking the man the question still, it can provoke him to study. And say he studies and he still doesn't know. It can provoke him, then maybe him to ask the pastor or ask another Christian that's mature in the faith. And get help. And get the answers. And then... Go give it back to his wife. That's God's way of funneling and showing that the husband, the father, would be the spiritual leader of the home. You know, people will often ask, how, why is the church failing our kids nowadays? The problem is that we failed and given what is the parent's responsibility to the church. It's the parents' responsibility to raise their children in the nourishment of the Lord, the admonition of the Lord. 
Yes, we assemble together. We come to church and we learn together. But it's not the church's job alone to train children in the way of the Lord. It's the parents' job. And so God, in doing this, is making it so that the family can be unified. That there's not another man becoming in the middle between a relationship. Now this issue of female pastorship isn't an issue of simply different interpretations by different denominations. Woman who pastor openly reflect opposition to the clear command in Scripture. It may also be the most obvious evidence of a church's rebelling against the Word of God to tolerate it. For the church to depart from the divine order of men fulfilling the role of pastors instead of women is to continue to perpetuate the disaster of the fall. Again, this isn't about value or worth or equality. It's about God's order. The value of women in the church is irreplaceable. I cannot do what I do as a pastor without all the help I get from my wife. There's just no way. And some may ask, what about these women in the New Testament? We see Anna is called a prophetess in Luke 2. Okay, again, she's not serving in the role of a pastor or even speaking in a public assembly. We see in Luke 2, 37, and she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Okay, so there wasn't anything wrong, again, with her speaking to the people that would come and telling them about the Lord. Nothing wrong in that at all. We see in Acts 21, Philip's daughters prophesied. Now, we're not really giving into account what this involved or what they prophesied. But we know that God spoke his word through them. Okay? But it doesn't say they were serving as pastors in the church. We see Phoebe, Romans 16, 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Caesarea. She was valuable. She was important to the church. She was not devalued. She was not looked about as, you're just a woman, you're not good here. No, she was valued. She was seen as a wonderful servant. But this does not call her a pastor, like many female pastors would say. It would say, oh, Phoebe's the pastor of the church. That's not what it says. Romans 16 mentions a lot of women about how much of a blessing they were to the church. Verse 6 says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. We see in Acts 8, 2. We see that here, we'll see even that woman can teach men, just not in the context of pastoral leadership. Um, Acts 8, 18. Go ahead and turn there. 
Acts 18 and verse 2. It says, And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. Okay? So we see this couple, um, Aquila and Priscilla. And the Bible specifically says this is his wife. So we know this is a woman. Okay? And then go to verse 26. And, or first we go in verse 25, or verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Okay, so he spoke of what he knew, but there were things in his spiritual life he did not know. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, shown by the scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. And so, some will say, oh, look, okay, here's Priscilla, pastor. It's not what it says. But it does show both Priscilla and Priscilla teaching the man. So, the, the, um, the prohibition was not that men can't ever, or that women can't ever teach men. Again, in Timothy, it was the context of the public ministry of the leading of the church. This was, they took him aside and talked to him privately. And explained the ways of the scriptures more perfectly, more complete. Gave him a greater understanding. I learn from women in this church all the time. All the time. Learning things. And that's okay. Okay? But what isn't okay for female pastorship? Now, in no way does the New Testament treat women as spiritual inferior. The first person Jesus revealed in direct, plain language that he was the Messiah, Messiah was to a woman. The woman at the well. So like I, we know that the Messiah is coming. And he'll tell us all things. And he said, I that speak unto thee am he. He had not used such direct language with a man yet. Did here with a woman. And what that woman do? She went and told the men about Jesus. John 4, 28. Says the woman then left her water pot. And went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. She was the soul winner after meeting Jesus. And then we see in John 4.39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believe on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. Never condemned for that. That wasn't in the public church setting. 
It was outside in the public, sharing the gospel, sharing that this is the Messiah. Come and get to know him. And some were skeptical, maybe because she was a woman. And they, and they came, and they were like, well, now we believe, not because you told us, but because we came and saw. Well, it was still from her influence. We see Jesus healed woman. We see he was willing to teach woman, unlike many of the rabbis. Following his resurrection, Jesus appeared first to woman. We see that woman served Jesus and the disciples. Women and men were involved in the prayer services of the early church. And Acts 1 would in turn there. Okay, so when the Bible says to be silent in the church, this does not mean that you just have to be what you're being like right now, where you're not talking at all. Okay? Doesn't mean that a woman can't sing. Okay, doesn't mean that a woman cannot share her testimony of what God's been doing in her life. Uh, in Acts um, 1, verse 13, it says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Celis, and Judas, the brothers of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And so praying again, we see that susceptible in the church as they were meeting and assembling together. Women were told to be involved in the scene of the church. Ephesians, written to both, I guess it wouldn't be both, it'd be more than that, to the men, women, and children. And what's it say? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Bible does not say that women do not have spiritual gifts in the areas of public speaking and leadership. The issue is where and who are they teaching and where do they exercise those gifts? And I learn from women all the time. Some of the books I read are offered by women. Some of my favorite podcasts I listen to are women. In the church, women are also told to teach other women. In the church, Titus 2 verse 3 says, The age woman likewise. That they be in behavior is become of holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. So here we see women are to be teachers. Okay? Here they teachers too. That they may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Kind of makes me go back to the idea of God does not want the order flipped. God created an order. The word of God is not to be blasphemed. But we see women were involved in teaching the woman. We see in the Bible over and over about women teaching the children as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know this message is not popular today, Lord, but it is in your word. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we accept your word for what it is, 
Even when it may go against our own understanding, we see that you've created an order and that when that order is followed, that um, blessings abound, that this is nowhere in any way talking about approval of abuse, whether by pastoral leadership or husbands over their wives. Nowhere is abuse ever permitted. And I know sometimes there's women that grew up in abusive households, whether it was their father or their husband. And so it could trigger them whenever they hear anything about the headship of a man in the home or in the church. But may they understand that those weren't the ideals that they went through. And you know, as the Bible says, a man is to love his wife, is Christ's love to church, a sacrificial love. And it says, submitting themselves unto one another, that there is a level of mutual submission. Just as Christ was subject unto the Father, did not make him any less than the Father. For you're equal, you're three. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three are one. Lord, we just ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.